Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Millison. Oops, this thing is not plugged in. Hold on. That's weird. I wonder what that's about. Let me kind of mess with the plug a little bit, make sure that's cool. Okay. All right. Take two. Two pigs getting kicked. Well. Welcome to Making Comics. Beatbox, reggaeton horn. It's just getting weird. Okay, go. We're keeping that in. Welcome, welcome to making, make, make, making comics. (laughs) Please let me make that the intro. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm Scott Loss, the creator, creator and artist of the Second Shift and Wanders of Melisande for the Accidental Aliens. Yeah, and I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics. And on the side, we are both beatboxers and rappers. <laughs> beep, beep, beer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we're back. Another episode of Making Comics. All right, my friend. I am the host. That means you are the one speaking first. What are you drinking? So I'm drinking this beer that I can't remember where I heard about it, Scott, but it's called Mother Earth Milk Truck Latte Stout. Ooh, look at you. I'm yeah. jealous. I love that thing. That's yeah, so boy. Good. And uh, and I actually have already poured one of them. So what this is in my hand is the second unopened can, which oh. we may go for because it's a light ABV. It's it's uh, yeah. 5.8%. So you look, if I drink two of these, it's not that different than drinking a tall boy Miller Lite at a, a basketball game you know it's 24 ounces at six percent that's i mean that power rating is barely <laughs> barely scratches what i have done with uh, just 16 ounces of of liquid in other episodes that's what i was gonna say i was like that two cans of that it's equivalent to a 16 ouncer of anything else on any yeah. other week that you've had here that's exactly. probably like your lowest abv in quite some time exactly um Awesome, man. Have you started it already? I did start it. That yeah. What I do did. you think? I like it, man. It's really good. We'll see. We'll see when we get to the end what the what the rating is. Hey, we forgot to do ratings again last week. By the way. Oh, did we? Did yeah, we did. Right. Yeah, we did. So we'll get to the ratings this week. But I do like this. This is a really good stout. All right, and I'm having abnormal. Um, it's Boss Poor San Diego IPA. This is a seven percenter. So um, just a standard IPA. This is one of the One's from the girlfriend pickup, so she stopped by Trader Joe's, grabbed me a can of this thing. So I'm I don't think I've had this before. I've definitely seen the can at Trader Joe's, but mm-hmm. I've never picked it up. It's like I like ABV ABVs, I like uh, IPAs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. it's not usually my my first pickup if I'm going to the store. So, but hey, if someone else is getting it for me, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of uh, power ratings, yours isn't that far from mine. You're 16 yeah. ounces at 7% and ain't that damn different than 24 ounces at 6%. And you know what? This this actually isn't that bad as far as IPAs go. It's um, kind of smooth. It's not overly hoppy. And that's my problem with IPAs most of the time. It's overly hoppy. Mm-hmm. But this kind of has a smooth finish uh, so far. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's abnormal, as the can says. So gotcha. that's a great start. Gotcha. Hey, accurately labeled. They Absolutely. killed it. They killed it. <laughs> they know what they're doing. Yeah, those oh. guys. All right, my man. What was your uh, first thing for the week? This week is going to be... I hope it's interesting. I hope it's interesting for you to listen to. Because 
I, I did basically three things. One of them is very quick. We'll save that for last. And two of them are massive. Absolutely, like, very big in terms of, like, watershed. This was a very big watershed week for me. Um, and I, I should mention, because I, I don't know where else I'm going to mention it, that uh, this last week I was a bit of, like, the YouTube gadabout using the second definition of gadabout, which is a person who I guess flits about socially. I was on two YouTube shows. I was on your boy, yeah, your boy Gary Hodges show. Uh, I did that over the weekend. And then I was just um, on, oh God, Artcasters last night, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So that was a good time. I had a a great time on both of them. Um, I'll post links somewhere um, so people can check them out. But if you follow me on Facebook, then I've already posted those links before they happened and just search and find them and they're probably archived by now and you can check them out. So really good conversations and uh, and really great like dialogue within the chat room and all that stuff. It was a really fun time. Yeah, man. And, well, so what were the highlights from those, those podcasts? Well, the Artcasters one was interesting because what I like about them is that they... They like to have a key topic to focus on. You know, with you, it was the Slack method. And with me, it was writing for novels versus writing for comics. So mm-hmm. that was the gravitational center around which the episode rotated. And uh, so, yeah, a, a lot of things just stem from there. There were a lot of really interesting tangents that, that happened. Um, I'm trying to think, though, the one thing that was interesting was there was a question from the chat. And the person said, what do I do when I get discouraged sometimes, I think that was the essence of the question. How do I work through, or how do I, how do I just get through being discouraged? And uh, my answer is something that I've said before here. You, you get up and write the next day. You get up and work the next day. You get up and draw the next day. You know, and I, and I mentioned on the show, everybody gets discouraged. Stephen King gets discouraged. <laughs> you know, every, every single professional who is creative gets discouraged. And what they do to deal with it is they just start working and they work through it. And even if the work sucks that day, you know, something I actually mentioned, Scott, is how there are times when both of us feel that we had a good week of work or even we had a good good or bad podcast um, or you had a good day of work. And then there's days where you feel like you had a bad day of work. But sometimes you'll you'll review what you did the next day when you thought you were bad and you are pleasantly surprised that you're like, oh, well, actually, that was just fine. Uh, that was pretty good, actually. Um, so that's something I think you've mentioned within the last two episodes, that kind of thing. So, yeah, just just punch through it, work through it, keep working. Every single person gets discouraged, and the best you, thing you can do is understand that, understand that it's part of the process, and you're going to have discouraged days, and, uh, and go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, exactly like you said, everybody has them. Everybody has those bad days, and, you know, for that creator – um, if, if it's, you know, if you're wearing multiple hats, like with something I've said on this show is if one thing isn't working for you, try something else. What else are you doing? What, are, mm-hmm. what are the other parts of this process that you are in, in charge of that you're in command of? And then you can just switch up, you know, it's just like, okay, well, your, your pencil's not working today. You're, you're, you're just not able to draw. Can you flat? Okay. Flat some pages. Um, yeah. are you the writer? then look at the pages that you've drawn and go back and look at your dialogue. Does it work with the art that you've created? Sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't. You know, there, there's many a things you can do where you feel like, I'm stuck today, this isn't working. And, you know, this, this is kind of part of the Slack method. Like, the Slack method emphasizes no slowdown. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I keep pushing forward? How do I keep moving forward? Okay, well, if if art isn't working for you that day, no matter if it's 
the characters or the background. If, if neither are working, what else can you do? So that's mm -hmm. something you need to think about um, when, when you're doing this whole process. And, you know, unfortunately, if you have one part of the process that you're working on, maybe there's other elements. Okay, well, I'm only doing the art for this and the art's not working. Well, I do have to kind of create graphics for maybe a Kickstarter or something like that. Maybe you could turn your attention towards that. You can do the graphic design element for that, and, and it kind of just changes it up. It, it makes your brain work differently. You know, like mm -hmm. when you're drawing pages, you're in one mindset. But when you're working on graphics, it's just completely different. You know, mm -hmm. it's, they're both artistic in their own way, but they're a different type of artistic. Yeah, and, absolutely. And you had mentioned podcast, and last week's episode was proof positive for both of us. We like mm -hmm. did last week's episode and we both got off, you know, the air and we're like, was that any good? Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it was a question of, are we going to even release this? And then, you know, we both agreed, well, let's listen to it in a couple of days and see what it's like then. And, mm -hmm. and if it's okay, then yeah, we'll put it out. Then it's not no big deal. We won't release it. We'll, we'll do something else. Yep. And uh, of course, like we both thought, Hey, turned out to be fine. Yep. And, and hopefully you guys thought so too. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, it's like it was important information that we felt like we needed to give you. Mm -hmm. And even though we might have felt a little off, hey, a couple of days later, it's like, hey, you can't really tell, you know. No, and, exactly. and so that's a great thing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so in, in a weird way, uh, something you just said ties into my first thing. And I and I when we recorded last week. I had just gotten hit upside the head. So why don't I... What do you want, Scott? You want the headline or the story that leads to the headline? You tell me. Ah, uh, the story that leads to the headline. Done. So one of the great things about um, Eden being a student is that she is able to get a super cheap subscription to Masterclass. So I'm now going Ooh. through Masterclass. And the first one I wanted to do is Neil Gaiman. And so I'm, what I'm doing is, because that masterclass is so good, I'm trying to do one episode a day. Savor it. The first damn episode that I listened to it was la and watched, that was last Thursday. I watch it, and he goes into this big thing. And I, again, I'm going to be verbose because you can see the process working. He says the most important thing writing is to be honest. And then he tells some stories about how, and I don't know if I'm repeating myself from last week. I apologize if I am. But he talks about in books like Coraline or Coraline, I don't know, however you pronounce it, and the ocean and at the end of the okay, and the ocean at the end of the lane. He wrote like characters that you know were kind of his inner child or this or that, and he still has people come up to him this day and tell him how it helped them through a rough time, blah blah blah, because readers knew how honest the writing was. So as I am wont to do, the first thing I did was I was like, "Oh shit," is my first novel not emotionally honest that thought lasted for roughly less than one second because that's just victor von again that's just victor von showing up and telling me that and that's when i fell back on the fact that i had workshopped it for four years with at least 20 different people and and if if any of that had come through I would have figured it out a long time ago. In fact, I did. And then I fixed it. You know, maybe not the lack of emotional honesty or anything, but anything found has been fixed. That's why you give it to readers. So I quick, quickly, you know, quashed that idea. But then I thought about the second novel. And where that led me to a place of was roughly when we recorded the podcast last week. It, it had nothing to do with emotional honesty. How about this? A, sec, a third, an, another little angle. 
I'm driving home after I'm like, after I just listened to this while I was listening to this. And in the process, I think of an idea for a novel. And I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. It's emotionally honest and it's different. Let me keep on thinking through it. Let me keep on thinking through it. And that made me wonder if the second novel is the right novel. And that's where we left off last week. I was questioning it. I knew that I would marinate on it, go from there. You know, you gave me a tip or two to to work through it and stuff. But sometimes you just got to talk through it and think through it and walk through life and then figure it out. And what I realized is that the second novel from 10,000 feet is a lot like the first novel. They're both horror novels. They both have historical elements. They both, they both are, they both started in my brain as plot, setting, and ideas. With the first novel, I then stirred in character. I stirred in all this other stuff. Of course, emotion naturally gets stirred in on all these things, and I arrived at a nice novel. And so as I'm, you know, listeners of the podcast know that I have stalled a few times already on this second novel. I was just like, okay, I'm kind of in a stalled place. I'll just work through it. I'll just work through it. And this is when I had this realization by listening to the Neil Gaiman thing and going on to these thought trains of like, maybe I'm telling myself something. Maybe I'm telling myself that, that this novel is not the novel that I want to write. And then I started to think about this new idea for a novel and I started to get excited because it would be very character based, very, um, very authentic, more authentic. It would come from a more authentic place to start. Another key thing that Neil Gaiman talks about in honesty is the, the, this is obviously metaphorical, but writing should feel like you're metaphorically walking down the street naked. And, and the second novel, I felt roughly the exact same as the first. And so I was like, what if I opened myself up a little bit more? What if I adapted elements of my own life and turned that into a story? And then the thoughts started to come to me. And I, was, and I thought to myself, I'm like, you know, I could write a first draft of this very fast. It would come very fast. I would, I would not have these stuck issues that I have on the second novel. But that's not enough. That's not enough for me to do it. Wanting to write it faster, being able to write it faster, it still isn't enough to table the second novel and go to a new second novel. But what cinched it, what cinched it is the part where this is a creative endeavor of mine. Writing novels are a creative and spiritual and self-discovery thing that I do. And what I realized is that I want to write this new second novel more because it engages a different part of my brain it makes me write a novel in in a complete reverse way that I wrote the first novel, which is all character and I figure out plot later. It's, it's character and it's situations and I'll figure out the plot as I go instead of a nice plot and then I figure out the char- a nice plot in nice situations, then I figure out the characters and the motivations and all that as I go. And so the more I thought about it, the more interested I got in it and I just liked that it was it was more personal it engaged a different part of my brain. And more importantly, it it created a better picture of my overall journey that I want to take as I'm writing. And then there was a final little thing that cinched it, which is, and this is this is me being honest with myself. I don't think I'm a good enough writer to write that other novel yet. I think that's one of the things I was bumping up against. I think number one, 
I think I need some more craft seasoning. I just need to write more. I just need to knock out 500 words a day for a couple years to get those reps under my belt to get a, be a better writer. And the other thing is, I don't think the research is fully formed yet. And I think that this is the kind of book that serves better if I put it on the shelf. I just keep on doing the research in the background. And then ideally, I come back to it as a better version of Keith in the future and I'm ready to go. So that's the decision I made, that I am going to switch and start a new second novel soon. I'm going to table slash shelf this other novel, and it'll either be my third or fourth novel, depending on how I feel, when I'm ready to return to it as the Keith that needs to be in place for that novel to get written. Yeah, that, that all makes sense, especially with what you were talking about last week, was you felt like there was more research to be done on this second novel that you were currently working on. So that, that just makes sense. And if, if the other mm -hmm. place is coming from a, a different side of your brain, a different aspect that you've not tackled before, mm -hmm. like that's great. And it sounds like you're like souped up to draw that or to, uh, to write this, this story. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, like something you've said before is you write where the heat is. Mm -hmm. So the heat is clearly on this, this new endeavor, this, this new idea you have, and this is, I think, the first project that you've actually done where you've thought character first. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you've said in the past that you're a plot guy. You mm -hmm. like to think of a story, an idea, and then you create the, the characters that are going to go in this scenario mm -hmm. to go into this story. So um, it's real interesting that you're, you know, it's, it's from the completely different side of it. And honestly, I think it's a, I think it's a great idea to tackle this, and it really is. And, and I don't know who said it before, and I think you, you were the person that mentioned it on the podcast. Is if you, if you can get the character down, if you can get your characters down in the story, the story writes itself, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, because exactly. you know we've talked, we've talked about this with Gary on the air, where you know what you know once you know what the guy is like. You know what deodorant he wears. You know what kind of chips he eats, etc. You know mm -hmm. the characters. As soon as you figure out some key points on who these people are, then then they just write themselves, and it makes it so much easier. It's like, okay, cool. I know who this main character is. How would they react if I put them in this scenario? And you go, yeah, I know exactly how they would react because they're exactly. alive to us. You know, when you create exactly. these characters, like hopefully to you, they're they're alive. They're mm -hmm. they're real. And so when they react, they react exactly how you thought they would because that's who they are. Yeah, yeah. And and this kind of goes into this other thing of it's making me appreciate how high a it didn't seem like I was putting a high degree of difficulty on myself with the first novel. But I think it was a high degree of difficulty. And the main reason is this novel I'm about to undertake is exactly the sort of sort of novel I should have done as a first novel. Because the lead character, you're looking at him. Now, is its name going to be Keith? No. But this is going to have heavy doses of memoir. And, and I am excited to write those things. So by the end of it, the character is going to stand on his own. He's going to do all these things. But the basis of the character is going to be me. And that's usually what people do with the first novel because writing a novel is hard enough that you need to just be as safe as possible with as many choices as you can make because novel's going to be hard anyway. And so I did make some interesting choices and challenge myself without realizing it for the first novel. 
And this feels like a good way to do it. Again, it's it's going to be metaphorically walking down the street naked in spots. It's going to be revealing, but also it's just going to flow because I have all these stories and all these things that happen to me. And we'll see what happens. So yeah, man, I'm I'm I am a little nervous for that exact reason, but I'm also excited. And and I feel that you know I'm I just need to work out a few like absolute top level skeleton plot things where it's like, well, wait. Who's the villain? <laughs> you know, like that kind of stuff. Right. Once I get those basics down, I can figure out everything else as I write, and it becomes what I talked about three months ago, the joy of discovery through writing. So yeah, man, that, I mean, the headline is, I'm shelving my second novel, it will be a future novel, and I'm just starting fresh with something else because that's what I want to do, both uh, just creatively and spiritually. It's what I want to do. Right on, man. And did you mention? Did you say that this new novel is going to be also another horror? It's going to be horror. It's going to be okay. horror. I, I I think it's fair to classify it as horror, but this will definitely be a, a more minimally horror than other. You know, um, mm. it won't yeah, suspense I, thriller. I I will. Okay, look. When we're done, I will tell you the three pop culture things that it is circling around and it's more happenstance that it circles around those things because it wasn't the inspiration it's just more this is the story i want to tell and oh by the way it has similarities with this thing but i'll tell Uh, you when we stop recording all right yeah sounds like sounds like a plan yeah Um, i forgot to write anything down that i did this week um so that's how you know it's going to be a good fucking episode (laughs) well i I wrote one thing down. It was because it's the only thing that I could remember doing this entire week, which is tackling Second Shift 13, and I'm down to two panels. Yeah. So um, that's one page. One page is left. That is it. It has two panels on it. The I told uh, you and, and Gary in the chat, like, I classified the snakes. I was just like, look, I got one garden snake. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I got two sloths sitting there, but I, but I have two rattlesnakes that I'm dealing yeah. with. One of the rattlesnakes is down. The garden snake is down. Um, this rattlesnake, I think I defanged it. So the yeah, yeah. the most difficult part of one of these two panels that is left was the background and the angle. Okay. Now, I worked out the panel initially a while back. And I was like, okay, I, I'm going to do a thing where it's a, it's a wall, right? Or it's a room. It's one of the characters in their room laying on the bed. And you're basically looking through a wall. So you're going to see everything that's butted up against that wall. So you'll see clothes kind of like leaning up against this invisible wall because we have to see through it, right, to see the panel. And I was like, this is a cool idea. And the way I laid it out, I was like, this is okay. I don't, I don't mind it. I think it's a cool idea. Um, not sure on how it's looking, though. I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure about it. Like, it was all right. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? It's one of those things where your first idea might not be your best idea. So I was like, all right, well... Let's just start with another layer. Let's try something else. And so I found an angle that I like. Um, it's it's difficult as well, but it was one of those difficults where I felt like it was working, and I just mm-hmm. kept going and going and going. And so the background element, excuse me, element of it is done. And yeah. that that's that's the snake. The snake is the background. It's always the background. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's it's almost never the character. Like I think I have a good grasp on you know body language and stuff like that. So I'm I'm okay with with drawing the person, the people in the rooms. It's not the issue. So it's the background, okay. and for the most part, that is done. Like there needs to be a little more details. The room's a little too clean for my tastes. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna muck it up a little bit. Uh, but overall, 
this snake is saved. It is it is out of the burning building. Um, okay. So I just have to draw the character in that building, or excuse me, <laughs> in that room. And then I have one more panel, and it's a little bit of a nuisance. It's like the angle that I have, it's okay. You know, it's just one of those things where it's kind of okay. And then when you get off, we get off the air here, you'll see in the group chat, I actually enlisted Gary, or in you, if you have an idea with this panel, if there's a better way to do it. Now, Gary suggested redrawing the panel in front of it and then redoing that panel. And, and the idea isn't that bad. Like his suggestion, suggestion was, oh, that's, that's actually might be better. I'm not too crazy about that panel that I had finished already. I was like, it could be done better. I could see that mm -hmm. it could be done better. So I won't mind if I have to change it. So, but take a look at it once we get off the air, see what you think. And um, yeah, I'll go from there. So I have an idea of how I'm going to try to tackle it, but I was trying to get an outside perspective on like, okay. is it just the angle? Does it need to be a close up? Like what needs to be happening in this panel to make this work better? Okay. Um, yeah. But so as soon as that's done, I'm going to be done and uh, I should hit my deadline. That's, that's okay. the number one thing for me is hitting this deadline. So I basically have three days left to finish these two panels. And um, you know, it's a Thursday the weekend is free. There's, we have nothing planned, thank goodness. So I think I'll be able to, to knock this out and uh, hit that deadline. Nice. Nice. Let me ask a question about the hierarchy of snakes, please. What, what is, what is the worst? Like, did I hear a rattlesnake is the worst? I think it is. I think that's like one of the most deadly snakes, right? Like I that, I mean, a black, well, <laughs> a black mamba. Yeah, like, I mean, if we're t if we're talking hierarchy, we could do like King Cobra, we could do Black Mamba, we could do uh, Arrow straightened by Thulsa Doom into Arrow. Mm, that's a good one. That is a good one. Straight you know, to the it, heart. Yeah, 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 yeah. So again, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's all it's I wasn't all in sure, preference. I wasn't sure if a King Cobra is actually more dangerous than a rattlesnake. I always heard rattlesnakes are yeah very deadly. So yeah. I mean, in terms of malt liquor, King Cobra is definitely the better one. It's definitely the worst beer or the worst malt liquor I ever had. There's a reason why it was 99 cents back in the 90s. <laughs> Is that the one that's don't let the smooth taste fool you? Was that King Cobra? <laughs> Fuck, I don't know, man. Don't let the smooth when, taste fool you. When, I think it when, is King uh, Cobra. Yeah. When I was a little kid, I don't know if I told you the story. I might have told you the story off the air. So, like, me and my, we grew up in uh, Paradise Hills, you know, it's just like, it's not a terrible area. It's not the greatest area. It's like kind of somewhere around the lower middle. Yeah. Um, and so what me and my friends would do, I think we we're about 16 at the time, we would go out in front of this liquor store and we would fish. And what, what that means is you would ask strangers to buy you beer yeah, or cigarettes if you, you know, whatever. And um, I didn't smoke, but uh, we drank. So we'd go in front of the liquor store, around the liquor store, and we would see people walking in. We're like, hey, can we give you some money? You could buy us some beer. And so it would always work that we would always mm -hmm. get beer. And one time it was like we were rummaging for money. And so we basically only had enough to get Cobras. And they were 99 cents, 40 ounces. Yes. And they were four, they were 99 cents for a reason. Mm -hmm. Because that was some of the worst alcohol I've ever tasted in my entire life. Yeah. And, uh, but it was what we could afford at that time. You know, it was normally Mickey's 40s. So, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do when you're in a pinch. Yeah, yeah. I had this idea one time. There's an unreleased song by Big, Big Pimp Jones um, called Malt Liquor Showdown. And I had actually had a proposal in place to coincide the release of the song with a, um, a, a malt liquor tasting 
by the band <laughs> that we were going to have like a, a wine tasting, but make it a malt liquor tasting. And oh, I was just going to record the entire thing and then turn it into an article. It never came to fruition, but what an article that would have been <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sounds like a terrible time. <laughs> making, making comics episode 1000, the malt liquor tasting. <laughs> Oh god, that's that's a what very we can hold special it. Christmas episode. <laughs> a very special trip to jail, <laughs> and, yeah. and and or the ER. We're not sure which one. Um, okay, no, but that's that's really cool. That, I mean, that's what I was going to say when you were like, "Well, I didn't really write anything down." I'm like, "Well, you've been posting in the making comics chat uh, panels and panels and panels and panels." So I imagine you're getting closer and closer. So that's great, man. By the by the time this airs, you will be long done with this. So that's a cool thing. Yeah, definitely. To get to that finish line, to see to see the finish line in the not so distance is is a great feeling. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's it's just all about finishing this book, and then as soon as I draw that last panel, it's gonna I got to start flatting like crazy. I got to start sending pages to my flatter, and yeah. um, just getting the process rolling, and you know, getting as much of it done as possible, so then I can start feeding Joaquin the pages, and while I'm doing that. You know what? I do have stuff. I have, an, I have something. Let, I'll expand on that as my second thing, because I know you have like three, right? Rock on, rock on. So I think in the spirit of just getting work done, one of the things is kind of a big, another windy thing. So why don't I break up my windy things with something just tight and practical, which is 30 minutes before this aired, I finished the Keith Foster cover to Kadoja Symphony of Madness number two. Oh, um, so, nice. yeah, I mocked it up. I, I, I did a first draft of it and I sent it to Mike and Kevin of Invader and I said, hey, guys, what do you think? Now, in my case, I was thinking, is this even good? Is this even good? So um, so without giving anything away and, and I honestly, by the time this episode airs, I may have already posted this cover. But if you if you know the Kadoja Symphony of Madness number one cover that I did, it's look, it's it's collage, right? So the Symphony of Madness number one cover has two kind of uh, blacked out silhouetted jaws opening, and it has Kadoja Symphony of Madness sideways in huge letters on the side of the cover, and then it has a, a dude wielding an axe with maniacal eyes looking straight at you, the reader, as part of the cover. So I am sticking to that general design aesthetic for all four of my covers. So there's going to be the the text down the side in huge letters, which I like. I decided that I would like to have a thing or two silhouetted, and then I'd like to have a key-focused cutout image using art from one of the comics of the series. So that's what I have here. And I was sticking on what the second kind of top silhouette could be, and then I finally came on it, and I thought it was pretty groovy. So basically, it's you know, it's an object in the middle, and then on the bottom is a tilting boat, and on the top is a pullout of like tentacles, and I liked oh. that idea because of the yeah. tentacle heads that are there. So I, I threw that to Kevin and Mike, and I was like, let me know what you guys think. And, uh, and Mike and Kevin both came back with the same notes, which were, you know, move the Invader logo from bottom left to top right and center the text. But other, other than that, it looks awesome. And actually, both of them commented that, uh, you know, there's also a great benefit here, which is I see, a, I see an uptick in your Photoshop skills. Like you're getting better with Photoshop as, as I see more of your work. So, hey, it was a total win. I didn't expect to get, first of all, I didn't even think I got the cover right. 
So for them to say I got the cover right and then to say, hey, you're getting even better with Photoshop, it was great. It was great. Send, shoot, shoot that my way. I yeah, shoot that will. my way after the yeah, episode. Man. Oh, we have an action-packed end of the episode here. We're going to do all kinds of things. All, all the good shit's happening once we stop recording, party people. Sorry. <laughs> you won't be there, people, but yeah, you'll be you, there in our hearts. We're recording the pregame. You're the pregame. No, I'm just kidding. This is, <laughs> this is the main event. Uh, how about you, man? What was your second thing? So my second thing would be, as uh, soon as this is finished, moving along to the next part of the process. So um, that would be getting my flatters involved to help me tackle this. Like, I'll do the more simple pages. And I have a guy that I use for all of my books. And he does it at a good rate. And, uh, you know, it's under market value here in America. But where he's at, it's a good rate. So it's mm -hmm. a good deal for both of us, which I greatly appreciate. And uh, I'll tackle the easier pages and I'll just speed things along and then we'll just shoot them over to Joaquin as fast as possible. And so while that's going on, um, I'll, be on, I'll be on it with Ed as far as the dialogue goes, just making sure the art matches the dialogue, which a lot of times it doesn't, you know, because sometimes I'll read the script and I'll get a general idea of what's going on on the page. And sometimes it's like, verbatim like exactly what he wants it's just like okay you, you know the exact one-to-one -one, but sometimes i see some play there it's just like you know i can add something there that would make this page a little more dynamic or it'll make the storytelling a little bit more fun and uh, or a little bit more character interaction so uh sometimes i'll take it upon myself to do that and then in those cases that's when Ed and I are going to have to go in and rework the dialogue and make sure everything works. So um, thank goodness he's super cool about that type of thing. You know, does, doesn't does think anything of it. And is just like, yeah, right on. Like, okay, what do we got to do here? So yeah, of course. I mean, being open to revision is if, if, if you're not open to revision, you shouldn't be doing this. So look, we, we know that that's what Ed does. We know Ed's open to revision. But of course, it's always good to get that reinforcement, of course. It's just like, yeah, of course, it's great. And I just said, of course, like three times. And you know what that means? It means the alcohol is kicking in. And what's worse is I said the of course is so fast, there's almost no way in hell I can edit them out. I don't want you to. No. no. Of course. Of course I don't. Warts and all, baby. That's how we do this. That's that's <laughs> why we're stars. the five stars in this. Exactly. Exactly. We all get it. We all get it. So my third thing has some similarities to my first thing in that I think both of them are good examples of me listening to myself through my own actions. Even when I wasn't ready to admit something, I was listening to myself through my own actions. And where this comes in is the pop culture I, have, I am absorbing. I may or may not have mentioned on the podcast that 2022 was my lowest amount of novels I have read since I started taking writing seriously in 2018. I believe I ended up around 35 books read, something like that, which is my lowest amount. I've been between 40 and 50 every year before that. And I just, I, I again, I may have mentioned this, that I know I mentioned it off the air. I just don't know if I mentioned it while we were recording that I'm, I'm starting to get into stuff like Roger Corman movies because I'm also reading, in addition to taking the Neil Gaiman masterclass slowly, I'm also reading Stephen King's memoir on writing. Oh. And it's called on writing and it's been great in in taking that you know there's this Keith that learned at the heels of the literary novelist Mark Sarvis and I love that Keith that Keith produced my first novel but I also think that it, it was Keith with suits on it was Keith with a suit on 
And I still want to keep, so the goal now is I want to keep that Keith in terms of the language I use, in terms of the way I work, right? All that stuff stays the same. But I also, this year, I'm feeling this need to rediscover my roots, which is like B-movies, which is comics that aren't so smart, you know, like, but are great anyway. All those things, right? Like Spider-Man books in the 80s weren't fucking high culture, but they were great. X-Men comics in the 80s weren't high culture, but they were great. My my stance on Godzilla movies and Kung Fu movies should be obvious based on the things that I write. So I want to take some of those things and 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 put those on the compost heap. I've been putting a lot of literary fiction on the compost heap and then sprinkling in little bits of the stuff I like. But this year is going to be the year, even even before I came to this recent realization, this is going to be the year of me more embracing fully the things that I like, the things that I really just have a good time with. And and Stephen King had a couple things in his memoir because I'm just reading little bits of the memoir every day. And a couple of them have really stood out. Um, one of them, so I'm going to just present them all here because they'll form a pattern. One is read anything, which goes in line with Neil Gaiman's line about American gods. Neil, what 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 research did you do for American gods? Neil, I read everything I could get my hands on for 30 years, <laughs> right? So Stephen King talks about this, reading everything. He talks more about fiction and comics and all that stuff, but it still applies. So that's thing number one. Um, Stephen King also talks about the value of something that's not written that great. And his exact line was, you often learn something more, something you often learn more from something that's not written that well than you do from something that's written amazing. When you read something amazing, you just sit there and get discouraged and you're like, this person's amazing. All of this is amazing. But if you read through something that's not that great, you you just say like, oh my God, I definitely don't want to do that. I'm reading through a novel right now in the spirit of that that's like a campy vampire novel and the person takes too long. He he writes too much. He overwrites. So it's it's one of these like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to overwrite the action. I don't want to repeat myself. You know, I want to make sure that that I'm just delivering the exact information without repeating myself. Yeah, there's, there's something to that. And also you can... The thing with these projects, movies, books, comics, whatever, whatever you're consuming, you're like, that wasn't very good, but there was something about it that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can dis- distill down those movies, books, etc., and find out where where is that joy coming from? Why? What did I like about this? Mm-hmm. And And you can take nuggets from those and kind of like, you can work it into your own thing. You, you can apply, I should say, you should apply your ideas in that same essence, you yes. can go, I see how it, I, I see how they did it. Mm-hmm. And the way they did it was so interesting. Now, how can I apply that to my writing, my art, etc.? And, and there's something special about that. And, and I've talked about it many times on the pod where I look back at my old stuff, like second shift one through five, it's like me stopping wrestling after 10 years and just starting to draw comics out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I have these ideas. I think they're cool. I haven't seen them before. So I'm just going to throw them on the paper and see if they work. Now, some of them work very well. Some of them don't. But mm-hmm. it's the bravery in those choices before you learn all of the rules. And, and that's, yeah. you know, again, we've talked about this on the pod where once you learn all the rules, it discourages you from trying those things that you tried before. These mm-hmm. these. Uh, you know, out of the box thinking that you were doing before, 
when you learn all the rules, you have a tendency to stay in the box. Now, mm -hmm. it's it's a matter of you trying to combine those things. Learn, er, keep everything that you've learned. Now, mm -hmm. what from that can be tweaked? You know, it's like these are they're not. It's not Bible Belt. It's not. It's not like be all end all. These rules. They're mm -hmm. guidelines on for how you create something. So when yeah. every time Keith takes a class on writing. Okay, he's learning what other people did, and those those rules worked, and that's mm -hmm. why they're kept into these classes. That's how come they're taught. It's like, yeah, every time you do this, this works. This this resonates with the readers. The thing that I want you guys to think about when you're when you're working your projects, when you're learning these rules, you have to learn to think outside of those boxes as well, and that's what will will kind of make you stand out over other people. It's just like, yeah, use the rules and make sure what you're doing makes sense in a way that that plays with the rules you don't have to it's not an exact one-to-one -one. you don't have to stay inside of there mm -hmm. but just think about it and like okay how can i tweak that how can i spin it on its head and make that still work and for people when they read this book they're still going to understand exactly what's going on and it's not the formula that everyone else has learned in school that applies perfectly to what i'm going through right now in terms of where i'm getting my learning from because Keith, for the last couple years, you know, I learned at the heels of this teacher and amazing writer named Mark Sarvis. So a lot of what I did was informed by him because he was the person that I was learning it all through. But now, you know, first of all, you learn every time you read something. You learn every time you watch something. You learn every time you absorb pop culture, whether you realize it or not, right? It's about creating that compost heap. Gary Hodges talked about it. Neil Gaiman even talks about it. Again, there, there are commonalities, and that's the best part. There, there are things that hold true across everybody that I've read, take, you know, taken a class from, read a book from, or taken a video from. Um, but now what's fun is I start to sprinkle in all those things as I get more and more influences and and that ends up resulting in where I am, like pop culture wise. And so you combine all these things of don't underestimate the value of something that's bad. And what you don't want is something that's shitty. Something that's shitty, put it the fuck down. You're not gonna learn any you're not gonna learn anything from something that sucks. Right. But you will learn things from something from things that have like one or two good things, but they're flawed elsewhere, or they're flawed quite through, but they have one or two good things. Who knows? That might even be the the form of your next novel. You know, if if you if you read a novel about I don't know sentient crayons with light bulbs for heads, and you think that <laughs> that's a really cool premise but they blew the idea with the plot well then by all means go out there and make your version of sentient crayons with light bulbs for heads but do it your way in the way that you think is going to work and then you go from there right so there's a lot of value in that and and what i found and then the, the most recent thing i read was and i think this might have been the most revolutionary thing in terms of how i approach my reading um stephen king talks about bringing a book everywhere everywhere in a car, he's got an audiobook. At the dentist's office, he has a paperback, so he can read it for five minutes. The guy reads, he says, I read between, this is 20 years ago, but he reads between 80 and 100 books a year in down years. And his big line that really clicked it all into place of all these things that I've been going through this last couple weeks of like feeling off in terms of the things I'm consuming, he said, you got to learn to read in little sips instead of large gulps. That made it click for me. 
Yeah, the, I I echo that, and I've been doing that for years as well. I'm I usually bring my iPad everywhere. So, you know, I'm working digitally these days. In the past, I would bring my giant clipboard that had my 11 by 17 comic pages on it. I, mm -hmm. I had that thing in my car at all times, you know, and if I was unable to do that, I'd bring my sketchbook with me. Um, usually if I would meet up with friends or something for lunch, dinner or whatever, I bring that thing everywhere. You mm -hmm. know, it's just like, okay, I don't know when they're going to show up. I'm a person that's usually on time or early. So I'm going to bring my iPad with me. And I'm going to draw in the car until they get there, or I'm going to go get the table and sit there until they show up, you know, and, and, you know, stealing time, you know, if you're at your job, again, you get there early, if you're there only five minutes early, that's five more minutes than you get than anyone else, you know, mm -hmm. other people, you're in competition with everyone else in the world that are doing these comic books. So make sure you're getting your shit done and stealing time wherever you can. So Stephen, it's good enough for Stephen King. It's good enough for you guys, right? Exactly, exactly. And and the interesting thing is, I think from an artist perspective, the thing you're more likely to want to steal time on is doing your work. For a writer, the thing you're more likely to want to steal time on is reading. Because re reading reading is arguably more important than writing. So when I when that clicked in, it just changed the way I thought. and And I went from someone who was wondering why they only read 36 books last year to someone who is, you know, look, I have no idea what number I'm going to get to, but it's going to be a much bigger number, like immediately on doing that. So what I used to do, Scott, I used to download one book at a time on Audible, and then I would go through it and I'd alternate between, you know, brain, basically my vegetables and my, and my junk. So one book would be my vegetables. It would be a writer who was really good, who I was supposed to aspire to and all this stuff. But I would bog through it and it would take me a while. And then I'd go to something that was more fun, like a Stephen King book, for example. And I'd read that and sometimes I'd breeze through it. Sometimes I wouldn't because I'd almost feel guilty. Well, what I'm doing now is I am doubling the time. I am, I am doing both the same day. I'm doing at least an hour. I mean, I don't I don't like following guidelines for stuff I enjoy. For productivity, sure. But for reading, meh, I'll read as much as I fucking want. Thank you. Um, but I am now double reading books and I'm stealing glimpses of a third one a couple pages a day in a Kindle and I'm trying to get back to my reading one or two comics every day. So now it's coming from all sources and more importantly, what I've done is the change is that I have redefined my life. One more final thing. Great, great anecdote that Stephen King talks about. At what point is King, his kid wanted to take up, I don't know what it was, saxophone or something like that. And after six months, I guess he, he asked his son, like, do you want to stop? And, and they were excited. They got him the saxophone. He was all lit up. He took classes at school, all that stuff. And I guess six months in, he, he talked to his wife and he said, I want to ask him if he wants to quit saxophone. And so he asked him. And the son said, yes, I would. You know, that'd be great. Thank you. And Stephen King was like, the reason I asked him is because it was obvious that he wanted to quit saxophone because he would practice only the mandatory time every day. He had to practice, practice for 30 minutes. And so I would hear him practice for 30 minutes. And at the end of that 30 minutes, he would stop. He would tuck it away and he would put the saxophone away for the night. And then he'd go to school and do it during class. And then he'd come home and do his 30 minutes. He didn't play. He didn't fiddle. He didn't run extra. He didn't just, just mess around to mess around. And that's how I knew it wasn't the thing for him. And so that, in a way, that helped me refocus my reading. Because it's like, that's the way I've been treating my reading. Because I'm not enjoying it. 
So let me pick books I enjoy. Fuck what everybody thinks. If I want to read two junky novels at the same time, I can do that. I'm a grown-ass man. So it just helped refocus. Again, like you just said, if it's good enough for Stephen King, why isn't it good enough for me? Like, I know he's not Toni Morrison. Everybody knows that. He knows it more than anybody. But he writes the way he wants to write. And he's confident in the way he writes. And he's written so much great shit. He's written more great shit than, you know, than almost anybody. Despite the fact that he's had clunkers in there, which he admits himself. So I feel, I feel more whole than I have in a while. I feel feel more self-actualized. And as a result, I am waking up every day excited to read comics to get in the car and put an audiobook on and only listen to music a little bit you know to listen through the day whenever I can whenever the things I'm doing are a little bit more light mentally and I don't need to focus all of my time on the thing I'm doing you know so I will I'm assuming this is going to hold because it just feels right now and I'm really excited I think I'm going to crank through a whole lot of books this year continue to go through comics and as a result I'm just accelerating the journey for me to get to being a better writer to get to be a great writer and and that's that's the most exciting part of it all yeah you know can I can I kick it yes you can can I venture can I kick it um can I venture a guess as to why your books were down Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess it was because you're ramping up the end of your novel. I think a lot of your headspace was focused around that, possibly. And so the idea of listening to a bunch of other stuff maybe not had had not been as appealing because you were in your own headspace. And I can mm-hmm. know, I know how that is. Yeah. And um, as far as like you waking up and wanting to read books and listen in the car and steal some moments on your Kindle. Like I totally get it. My girlfriend makes comments all the time. She's like, how come there's always something playing with you? She's like, it's never quiet. Right. And I'm like, because I always like to absorb something. Mm -hmm. And like, for me, I listen to a ton of podcasts. So whether it be a comic book related podcast, a creative podcast, comedians, there's, there's something that I'm listening to where I'm absorbing the knowledge in one way or another. You know, yeah. it's just like, okay, like, well, sometimes like for, for junk food, it's like, okay, the comedian stuff is junk food. I think a lot of the stuff that I do is, but honestly, it's, I have no qualms with it. It's just like, well, yeah. I like listening to the comic ones because, well, I like to know what comic books are good. So then when I go to the comic store, I can pick those up and read them and see what's yeah. so interesting about this book. And mm-hmm. that helps with my craft. You know, it's just yeah. like you get to a point when you're creating these things where yes, you, you are reading them and you are enjoying them, but at the same time you might go back and flip through it a second time and start dissecting it. And you might be at the point in your, your creative career where you're doing it automatically. And like, I knew I was doing that with wrestling. It was just like, I would watch a match and I would dissect it as it was happening. And you Mm -hmm. know, like, I don't know if I want to get to that point with comics because I do enjoy reading them, but it is also something that I do go back and, you know, it's just like, oh, I love this artist. Let me go back and let me check out their storytelling. Let me see mm-hmm. their facial expressions. Let me see this. Let me let me see how they handle action as opposed to how I handle action or how they handle action as opposed to another comic creator that I love. And mm-hmm. it's just so interesting. It's like it's like fingerprints. Sometimes you one guy handles one guy handles it completely different from the other. And it's just the difference in. I don't know, the way we breathe, you know what I mean? It's just like, there's something about it that's always going to be a little different. Even if it was, even if both artists were taught by the same teacher, it's like, yeah, you'll get some similarities there. But, Mm -hmm. but every creator brings something into their own book 
that's just their process and their process alone. And it's interesting to dissect that and see how they're doing it themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a, a quick note before we get on to the main topic, because I see we've had we've had such good conversations, but we're, we're cranking through on time. Um, the end of my novel does play a role because but but then again, so much of the end of a novel is about execution and you don't need to think that much. If anything, mm. earlier in the novel is when I find myself listening to more music because that's when I got to knock out like the big plot things and the big character things. So. Mm-hmm. But but it'd be dumb to say that didn't have an influence. You're right. It did. It did play a role. But the bigger role was just that I didn't make great choices. And I wonder if one of the reasons was because the sources of places I was looking, I was looking for, you know, Powell's best books of the month and, you know, the New York Times book review and places like that, because God damn it, I'm literary, you know, and it's like, well, fuck it. I'm, I'm looking somewhere else. I'm looking I'm looking into my own heart and I'm asking myself what I want to read. And then I'm going to read that thing. If I want to read campy horror novels or I want to read Elmore Leonard, I'm reading those things, you know, like like there's value in all those things. Anybody who's read Elmore Leonard will tell you there's value in Elmore Leonard. So you, you, you can learn something from everything and so many things out there are good, even whether or not they're perceived as high art or mastery of craft. Well, yeah, and that's something you had mentioned on the pod that you didn't want to listen or read anything that would influence your writing. Yeah. And so you were doing a horror novel and mm-hmm. you love horror. So, of mm-hmm. course, you're reading a whole bunch of shit that isn't your main interest. It's going to be slower. It's a slower go of it. Absolutely. So yeah, it, it makes sense now that now that that novel's over, you can ramp it back up this year mm-hmm. and just read and listen to whatever the fuck you want. Exactly. Exactly. And make better choices too. Again, you 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 make a great point in that that is the the kind of lurking presence that I did not acknowledge that played a role, right? But the other things, so they all they all combine into me just feeling like I'm in a really good place. Right on, man. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. All right. So we're going to tackle the uh, main topic. And uh, yeah, we're running a little late here, but that's okay. When you, this when we this have might convers- be a little shorter in terms of a main topic, right? Um, yeah, true. But go ahead. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, we were just having such a good conversation. We are just letting Hell it flow. And, yeah. and, and, and that's what we offer you here for a free 99 every month. Um, okay. So this, this episode's topic is our 2023 schedule. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... I'm going to preface this by saying to you guys, we're going to go through our list of things that we're going to be doing for the year, how we're going to tackle them, when we're going to tackle them, etc. Um, this is something that I think that we both think would be good for you guys to do. Mm-hmm. If you're out there, you're creating, make a schedule for yourself. How long do you think it's going to take for you to do the project that you're doing? So, you know, me and Keith have been doing this a while. We have a good understanding on how long it's going to take us to do certain things. Mm -hmm. And so I have a rough idea of how long it's going to take me to do all the things that I have on my list. I'm sure Keith does as well. Mm -hmm. So um, if you've done a project before, factor in how long it's taken you to do those projects and how long it takes you to do a specific task. Make sure you're taking account all of the tasks that you have to do with inside of that project, not just one aspect of it. I know when I was doing this list initially today, I had left off uh, very important parts of the process. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't accounting for, uh, time for certain aspects of the process that wasn't the art. You know, I was going through, I was like, okay, it's going to take me this long to draw this, etc. You know, everything takes time. So make sure you're thinking about that when you're planning out your projects and your year. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say that. I would also say that 
So I I love Excel like like flowers love rain. You know, Excel is is definitely the wind between beneath my wings. I have given that exact thing before but not about Excel. So I think I gave it about the band Undeath if I remember right. But you know, Undeath and Excel, they're they're two of my favorite things. Um so you may not be me. You may not want to, you know, Scott, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read from this in the parts that matter, but I want you to see it. What I created was like what people call a swim lane chart where I had these different kind of things I'm going to do. And then I mapped out all of my months and when I plan on having some of these things come true. That doesn't mean you have to do that. You may not love Excel like I love Excel, but what Scott and I encourage you to do and what we'll get to once we get through our stuff and, and maybe put a little bit more of a call out there. We want you to actually put a goal to something. So if if you want to draw, you know, a page a day or whatever, if you, sorry, a page a day, if you want to draw a, a, a page a week, right? If you want to draw a page a week, then that's going to be 52 pages. And what that means is you should be able to produce two comics, at standard length comics. So whatever it is, actually take that out and extrapolate it and give yourself a date. Like, I want this comic to be done in the month of July. And I want the next comic to be done in the month of November. It can be as simple as that. I just want to do these couple things this year. Scott likes to get granular. He just showed you that. But that, you know, you don't have to get granular in your plan. The important thing is you set a goal and that way it's just sitting there. And if you can do it, you post it above your desk or or you keep it on, you know, handy so you can always look at it and you make it visible. And that's going to make it real and that's going to make you achieve it. So, again, Scott and I, I, I know this. there could be more interesting topics on this. We could talk about seven ways to incorporate unicorns into your story. And maybe that'll be a, <laughs> maybe that'll be a future podcast episode. I don't know. But... But this is important. Setting setting actual goals so you can do stuff is important. And you can set goals in a bunch of different ways. And I think, so Scott, why don't you start, talk about maybe the the areas where you're to like, like, what are you talking about in terms of the goals you set? Um, you yeah, know, what, what categories so, are you looking at in terms of your goals? Well, the first project that I want to talk about is it's my new adventure that I've been building up on the pod, which is... Uh, sentient crayons with light bulb heads versus yes. their arch nemesis, the unicorns. <laughs> Fucking A. Isn't what a coincidence that is. <laughs> Synergy. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> this, this is what 115 episodes does. This is how on the wavelength we are. We are tapping right. the exact point of Jung's collective unconscious. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was your question to me? I was just sitting on that joke, waiting for my opening. That that joke is worth ignoring me for days. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> no, here's what I'll do. I tell you what, I'll go first, and what I'll do is I'll talk about. So for my goals, what I did was I created four categories. Okay. Writing writing comics. Which I saw that. Mm-hmm. Writing prose, paying for art, and Kickstarters. For the purpose of this, I'm not going to mention paying for art and Kickstarters because really those two categories follow the comics and the prose that I write. Now, I have personal dates on that because for me to get my books out, I need to pay artists for art and I need to make all that stuff happen. So for me, um, you know, and and then, of course, I could also say like what comics I'm going to release, but that's effectively the Kickstarters. So I think I can talk about that, right? The Kickstarters involve me 
producing, kickstarting three comic books. Kadoja Volume 4, Number 2 in February. Animals Number 1 in April. And Three Protectors Volume 2 in October. Those are my high-level goals right there. Those are my three Kickstarters, and those are my three books that are going to come out this year. Um, do you have something similar to that? I do. Why don't you – do you have a rundown of your whole year? I do, yeah. Okay. Why don't you do the rundown? Because that's how Perfect. I have mine. Bump by yeah, bump do the rundown. rundown. I'll raise my hand, so if, if there's something interesting Perfect. there, I'll, you, you'll see me. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, so I, I think to make it easy, those are the comics I'm going to release. But but the comics I'm releasing, the art is so for Kadoja Volume Four Number Two, that art's done. For Animals Number One, that art is done, with the exception of the backup story, which will definitely be done by June. And then Three Protectors Volume Two, that one hasn't even started. But the point is, all those scripts are now done, and that leads into like the biggest action item for me, which is completing scripts. And that's where I tend to get aggressive. So for me, in terms of what I'm writing this year. As I believe I've mentioned before on the podcast, I am front-loading comics at the beginning of the year with prose writing being something I do in the background. And then once I get about midway through the year, prose takes the lead and comics flip to the background. So you can see that here. So January, my goal was to complete Three Protectors Volume 2 as a first draft. That is done. I've already put a check in that column. Next month, February, I plan on completing the script for Kadoja Volume 4, Number 3. In March, I plan on following that up the month right after with the script for Animals number two. In April, the month after that, I plan on following that up with the script for Kadoja volume four, number four, the final issue of Kadoja. My hunch being, which I can move this around, my hunch is that once I finish volume four, number three, I'm just going to want to write the final issue of the series and and make it happen. Um, And then after that, The only other comic I have loosely on the board is the script for Three Protectors Volume 3 in July, and everything else is simply word count. In fact, at the time, I have the title of my old second novel that I just said at the outset of this podcast I'm about to shelf. But what I have is word counts. And so what I have reframed my brain with doing is basically saying, you're going to write 500 words a day of prose. That's it. And then what I did was I multiplied all those up and that gets me monthly goals. And then I'm just going to track my goals. I just drop my word count in every day into a spreadsheet. And because I love spreadsheets, I just stated this and, and it might be public knowledge for all I know. But I'm pretty that's, sure that's, that's Yeah, that's basically it. So, I mean, I have the comics and the months I want to do them. So that's a heavy front load for the beginning of the year. I already finished Three Protectors and I'm going to get going on the Kadoja number three script pretty soon, even though I'm about to launch the Kadoja number two Kickstarter. Um, and then I have the Kickstarter. So yeah, man, those, those are those are the important things. Everything else in a lot of ways falls from that. Paying artists falls from that. Doing some other things falls from that. And all the small actions that I do that lead up to that fall from that as well. I obviously have to letter Kadoja Volume 4, Number 2, but I'm not going to put that on the thing. That's just going to happen. I know I'm going to do it. So those are the big aspirational creative things I want to do this year. Everything else is just getting work done, doing doing work and not even having to think that hard about it. How many books was that knocked out this year? Uh, well, I'll release the three. I'll release three, but I'll write five and then a tonnage of prose in addition. Okay. Right on. That's see, that's great. Like being able to release three books a year, and like I know 
if, if there's pros listening to this, like I know that doesn't sound like a great number of books, but again, we're on the indies here. So for me, three is the most I've ever been able to do in a year. And so hopefully I'll be able to do that. But I'll go through mine pretty quickly. Like Keith said, I'm a little more granular when it comes to plotting this stuff out. Um, so for the month of January, it's basically in until the 21st of January, it's drawing second shift 13, finishing second shift 13. So we're at the home stretch of that. I'm going to get a check hopefully by the 21st. And then for the rest of this month, uh, the month of January, it is flatting, um, artistically lettering, and talking with Ed about the uh, the script and stuff like that. So basically, the end of this month is one week long of, of the end of this month. I have to get all of my flatting done and uh, do some creative lettering. So like creating cool fonts. Um, like, like I said in previous episodes, I'm taking over basically all the lettering du duty. I've always done the basic lettering uh, for the most part. And uh, minus a couple of a couple of issues, but uh, I have a tendency to do the basic lettering in my comics. And then, if you look at the credits, it won't reflect that. I always give the person that does the special effects lettering. I always give them the credit for it because I feel like, and I'm sure if you're a letterer listening to this, which which I doubt, um, it's a little blasphemous. But I consider those people like, oh, it's like those guys are the real letterers. They're they're doing this creative effort, but it's simply not true. Like doing standard lettering, there's an art form to it in itself. So, um, but I always like to spread the wealth and make people feel like, you know, they're giving something to the project. So I'll usually just give them the top billing on those, those side things there. Um, so yeah, so for this issue, just like issue 12, uh, I'm going to take over all of the, the graphic design elements of the lettering. And so I'll be doing that and the flats in that last week. And then going back and forth with Ed and just making sure, um, you know, all the pa uh, the pages line up, the new art and the dialogue lines up. So that's the month of January. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, so after that, in the month of February, and I'm trying to con condense this, you know, I'm just going to rattle it off because it's easier for me to try to think about how to do this. So between February uh, 1st and the 12th, I have that new project that I've been wanting to do for a while. It's going to be in our anthology series, um, and so it's the third story in that anthology. And I I have this bookmarked as far as the um, time frames go to mm -hmm. a 10-page story. So normally with the Accidental Aliens, we do six-page stories. Um, it's a nice little chunk of a story. It's You could do a nice little short story out of it. And it keeps our anthology series not too giant to where we have to perfect bound them. And they can just be saddle stitch. So... Um, I'm either going to do a six to 10 and it'll keep us in the page count that we need. We'll be nowhere close to, to perfect binding these things. Um, but it's all on how long or how many pages I'm going to need for this new story. You know, mm -hmm. like, okay, how much of this character's background do we want to give up front? And for me, a lot, I want to do a lot of character stuff right at the beginning. So you can know who the character is, um, you know, how they grew up, etc., And then we're going to get into the action and then that'll be the cliffhanger. You know, maybe we'll, they'll get a page or two of action, then it cuts or, uh, you know, we'll cut where the action starts. So mm -hmm. that's something I'm going to need to work out between myself and Ed. And, um, you know, I want to work a little more things out of that to make sure it's exactly where I want it to be. And then me and Ed can start going back and forth as to what's going to be happening.
February 13th through the 22nd, that same project, um, that's when I'm going to start the art. So those first 12 pages, it's designing um, the characters, the storyline, the thumbnails, those first 12 days. And then between um, February 13th through the 22nd, that's when I'll be doing the art. And then hopefully in that, within that, those dates, you and I will be um, doing a creator's retreat. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I'm hoping I'm going to be able to get ahead of this schedule. So it's all about cutting where you can, like mm -hmm. how much time can I save? So like the dates that I have for myself, it's like, okay, this is the maximum amount of time that I want you to take to do these stories. So it's just like, okay, 12 days, um, character designs, which I've already started, thumbnail story. 12 days to do that, I feel like that's pretty reasonable. Mm -hmm. So once we lock down a story, um, I've been working on these smaller projects, a little Marvel method with Ed, where I kind of basically come up with the plot, the idea and everything, and I'll run with it. And then I'll kind of have a basic script over it, like uh, via Jack Kirby, and then throw it to Stan, you know, uh, and then Ed will jazz it up. He'll make it way better than I, I could ever write it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's that's what we're going to be doing those first 12 days, hopefully. And uh, obviously, he'll have more time with the dialogue. But just as long as we get the skeleton of it down, um, that's where we need to be. Right. Um, and then so February 13th all the way to April 22nd. Um, that's 10 pages worth. So I'm giving myself basically a page a week um, mm -hmm. in this instance. So you know me. I like to work ahead, but I like to have a buffer. So when I'm planning out my year, I want to make sure I have enough time. So creating these deadlines for yourself is extremely important mm -hmm. on on the independence just as much as it is in, in the pros. You know, it's like you want to have a, a guideline on how your year is going to be, how much time you are allotted to do this. Mm -hmm. And then that'll hopefully light a fire under your ass. Yeah. Well, I, I will say this too. Let me let me interject something. How granular you get is up to you. I mean, Scott still has some ways to go, but I'm sure you've noticed already that Scott is being way more granular with his dates than I am. And there's a reason for me doing that. But what, what the important thing is, is, again, in your own way, to have that date in your head, whatever the hell it is, and actually set the date. You know, it goes back to one of my favorite adages, right? People don't plan to fail. They just fail to plan. And... Do whatever you want, but make sure you actually like like hold yourself accountable to something and then see how you do. And then and then dare yourself, challenge yourself to actually be accountable for that. Even if it's just I want to finish my first book in June and my second book in December. I want to do one page a month. Whatever pace is the pace that you want to do, that's not what's important. You don't you don't have to work your ass off. What you have to do is set a schedule and make it happen. Um, and again, to paraphrase something I just heard from Neil Gaiman, you're going to see yourself grow as a creator for every single thing you finish. That was something he talks about. And the more things you finish, the more you're going to get this exponential growth of as, as a creator instead of not finishing or figuring out something might not work and then not following through on it. You know what? Follow through on it. It's okay. And and then you'll learn something from it. So again, the the idea is set a goal achieve that goal, whatever that goal is and whatever's reasonable for you. Don't, you know, there, there's this phrase called, um, stretch, but don't strain. It's okay to stretch yourself, but don't strain yourself with unreasonable goals either. Cause then you're just going to demotivate yourself if you fall a little bit behind and nobody wants that either. 
Right. And, you know, me and Keith have been doing this a while. So I work myself to the amount that I know I can work. So my schedule, what I'm telling you guys, is how I do it. So, you know, for me, a page a week, very reasonable. Some of you creators might out there might be slower. You might be faster. You might be wicked fast. And you'd be like, you need you need seven days to do one page. I do seven pages in, in seven days. Mm-hmm. Well, good for you. Yeah, bravo, bravo you. Yay. That's not that's <laughs> not what we're talking about, though. We're not talking about how great you are, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. You, so, but if you yeah. can do seven pages in, in seven days, then good on you. And you're going to yeah. have your projects done every that's month. That's fantastic. And, yeah. And I'm jealous as hell. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, hold on. Yeah, but, so so I, I have another thought, but you're only through April, so we still got to get through the year or however far you want to get to, to yeah, demonstrate the idea. No, go ahead. I, I want this for the end for sure. Okay. 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 Um, so, all right. So that brings us through April 22nd. But during that time, while I'm drawing all this stuff, here we go. Kickstarter number one, uh, March 1st through 31st. That's going to be the Kickstarter for Second Shift 13. So prepare yourselves. In the month of March, look for Second Shift 13 on Kickstarter, and we'll obviously mention it here. Any one of our, anytime one of our books is on Kickstarter, we talk about it right before the episode starts. Um, April 20, 23rd through 30th, that is Second Shift Adjustment. So after that, the short story is done, Second Shift 13 is done, so I finally will have a chance all the way in April to get to Mike Perkins' notes about the previous issues of Second Shift, where things that he sees that can be improved. And so basically we're going to do a second printing and we're going to put those corrections in those issues, change the cover so people can know it's, Hey, this is a second printing. You know, you can pick it up if you want, if you don't, no big deal. But anyway, there's some adjustments that Mike had given us, um, just some notes and we took them to heart and we're like, okay, what can we do here to fix this? No problem. This is all we got to do. So all the way in, uh, that is April 23rd, 30th, uh, May 1st through June 19th, Wanderers number four. So as you guys know, I did that as my Drawtober project. I finished the first nine pages. I basically have to, and I guesstimated here, it's another 12 more pages. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, roughly, so that's a 21-page story, right? That's usually what Wanderers is, about 21 pages. So that'll be done, uh, hopefully, uh, June 19th. And then uh, during that time, May 1st through 31st, the new project's Kickstarter will be going live more than likely. I will have to talk to the Accidental Aliens about that because it's not my if my story isn't the only story in that book. So we can see if they want to run one concurrently or a different time if they run in April. It's something I have to talk with them. But, you know, bookmarked roughly for the month of May. Um June 20th through July 18th, Zipatones for Wanderers 4. It's a different part of the process. It's light coloring, but I'm doing it with black and white dots. It takes forever. It's going to take me quite a bit of time, so I'll be dealing with that. And that goes all the way till the 31st. You get lettering for that. And then August 1st through 31st is Kickstarter for Wanderers 4. And that will be the whole month of August. And September... 1 through 30, or let's, like, I'll I'll fast forward. No, no, I can't. Okay, sorry. September 1 through 30 is Second Shift Zero story and thumbnails. So this is basically going to be the origin story for the Second Shift characters uh, will be issue zero, which also acts as a O for origin, right? And then the month of October, we have Drawtober, like usual. I have a cool project lined up for that. I mentioned it on one episode. I'm going to, 
You can find it if you guys want. You can try to find it in whatever episode. I don't even remember when I said it. Right. But uh, I'm going to keep it under my hat until closer to October. And then November 1st, all the way through February of next year, I'll be drawing Second Shift Zero, doing the art and everything. So um, one part of my process, obviously, a little more detailed than Keith's, and, it, and it's from the art aspect of it. So I know how long it takes me to do a page. So therefore, I need to roughly plan out when that's going to be because that gives you more of a realistic time frame as to when that art's going to be done. So if you're an artist out there and you're, you don't own this project, this is a project someone's hired you to do, you can give them an accurate time frame roughly of when you can have that book done for them. Right. You also, I mean, it also is worth noting that I, I see some German precision in your numbers. Remember how you, you heard me do a long intro and then you were like, or you could just say it like this. Yes. Another way to say September 1st through September 30th is September. September. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so, so yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but, but that's okay. Again, this, this goes back into the final, into the ultimate thing that we were talking about, which is if you want to do it like Scott, you do it like Scott. If you want to do it like Keith, you, you do it like Keith. If you want to do it like you, you do it like you. And, um, and I, I forgot to mention one thing before we get to what I hope is something that people actually take us up on on this podcast, which is, Scott, the reason that I made this, the first reason that I made this chart was not, was not to give myself dates to hold myself accountable to. It's actually the reverse. It's to give me the peace of mind to stop, right? And so for me, look... You, you guys have been listening to this podcast 100 plus episodes. Uh, you, uh, episodes. You know me. Scott knows me. Hitting my goals is not the problem. And I don't say that in any, you know, I don't say that in any kind of way. It's just I, I set goals and I make them. But what I'm trying to do here by having these goals is to give myself license to actually enjoy life a little bit more. Gary Hodges has been giving this thing on his YouTube channel about like in 2023, I'm playing all the video games. <laughs> yeah. And that's and that's kind of where I am. Like I, I, I want to hit my goals. And, and so in making this schedule, one of the things that I wanted to do was is to make the kind of schedule where if I look at it and I say, Keith, if you do everything on this schedule, are you pleased with your output for the year? And and I and my answer is yes, I am very pleased. And therefore, theoretically, like I already finished Three Protectors Volume Two in the month of January. So what that means is I don't have to start Kadoja if I don't want to. I can, but I don't I don't feel compelled to. And what it, it is doing is it's playing into what we were just talking about. It gives me the freedom to just go enjoy culture, which is all for the compost heap anyway, because it's all stuff I like. Um, so anyway, so for me, it's it's kind of a twofold thing. It's and but we we understand too. Different people are in different places on their comics journey. So if you're if you're earlier in your comics journey, or you're not quite where you think you want to be in terms of getting stuff out there, then you know put a date on it. It's not going to kill you to put a date on it. And that's where we get to the thing that we are doing a call to action. This is the first one we've ever done. So 115 episodes in and we're finally doing this. What we would like is for you to share your goals with us. Makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. You share your goals with us. And what Scott and I will do is we're going to read them to people. 
Um, so send them knowing that we are in fact going to share them on a podcast in a few weeks because we want you to hear them and we want you to achieve those goals. And then we'll probably do like a check-in either mid-year or end of the year so that we can see how you're doing because we want to know how you're doing. We want you to make all the stuff that you plan on making this year and we want to help you. So we led with all the things we're doing. We are now going to take the entire course of 2023, holding ourselves accountable to those goals. We're going to make these goals on some level a part of what we do. And uh, and we encourage you to do the same. So yes, please take us up on it. Send us a note. You want to you Facebook Messenger, Instagram, all the ways you can reach us. So many of you have, have no different ways to reach us. So do that. Share your goals with us, and we are more than happy to share them with other people because we want we want you to hear them, and more importantly, we want you to achieve everything you want to achieve in 2023. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. Um, yeah, so also, last thing on my stuff. So if I hit everything, so if everything goes perfect, I will basically have four books done in the month or in the year 2023, and half uh, so four and a half books done. Mm-hmm. So that's if, if everything goes according to plan. So, you know, it's just, uh, so just a quick recap, it's second shift 13, it's wanderers four, it's uh drawtober and then half of second shift zero. Yeah. So if I can do that this year, I will be a happy camper. That will be my most productive year as far as I can remember. And, um, it's a great feeling. And like you said, like it was Stephen King, or it was this one, Neil Gaiman, with every project that you finish, you should feel a growth in your work. Mm-hmm. And I've been feeling that the last couple of issues, I, every single issue, I felt growth. Like I, I was like, I can see where I got better issue to issue. And that's a great thing. And so with four more projects under four and a half projects under my belt at the end of the year, hopefully I'll be that much of a better creator. Rock on, man. I mean, I think it'll make us all better, right? Finish Finishing projects makes everybody better from the freshest, newest creator to the 50-year veteran. You just get better. Craft is something that can never be perfected. and uh, But all you can do is just get better at it and enjoy the journey. That's the most important part. Just enjoy the journey. Absolutely. And the last thing before we go, we're going to rate these beers. Yes. Yeah, we've we've gone so long that we need to have a bullshit-free episode to build up reams of bullshit for the future. I actually don't have any bullshit anyway, so it works out really well. I only have one, and I'll gladly hold that. We're going a little long, so I'll definitely hold that for next week, because I might not have one next week. Ooh, I'm excited. So, I'm excited yeah. already. I gotta wait a week for this? God damn it. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one for sure. As far as IPAs go, I give Abnormal, Boss Poor, San Diego IPA 7... 7% ABV. Mm-hmm. I give this a solid seven and a half. This okay. is a solid IPA. I typically do not like IPAs. They they usually stay around the five, you know, as far as the grading scale go. Most IPAs to me is about a five. Mm-hmm. I would give this one seven, seven and a half, because there is, like I said, right at the top of the the hour here, there is no like dirty after like it mm-hmm. like for me IPAs taste dirty it doesn't have that dirty aftertaste or that and hoppy aftertaste dirty <laughs> that's like ODD dirty. right there yeah exactly I like things dirty but not my IPA um, <laughs> so yeah abnormal pick it up trader joe's for a IPA it is definitely worth picking up <laughs>
Okay, so yeah, to use our little calibration, what that means is for those of you out there that enjoy IPAs, this would be a great IPA to try. If you don't enjoy IPAs, it's not significant enough for you to break your habits and go out there and get it. And right. uh, and so, yeah, in the spirit of that, I thought that the milk latte, mate, whatever the fuck it is, milk latte, milk truck stout, something like that. I mean, a couple Nailed of those it. things I just said were totally not words. First try. They weren't. <laughs> Nailed it. First take, motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. I'm keeping all this in. I don't even care. Um, seven. 7.0. I view it as a flat 7.0. I thought, I thought it was just a fine stout. I thought it was a slight cut above your everyday stout. But it also, it, it, it reminded me, um, weren't we just talking about this? Oh, we, I was just talking about that, that beer um, shotgun wedding. Yeah. That that actually had vanilla flavor in it. And this beer reminded me of the thing I was talking about where it says it has notes of vanilla. So you drink it and you're like, your brain is going stout, 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 vanilla. Stout, 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 stout. You know, like <laughs> you have to you have to you have to work really hard to get those accent flavors in this one. It's predominantly a stout. I did enjoy it, and I definitely wouldn't turn it down if anyone um, gave it to me. But I also think it's like a good stout for stout drinkers, as opposed mm. to a breakthrough beer that like absolutely anybody should just try for your own for your own good. Okay, yeah, I think I did. I give it a seven and a half, or did I give it a? I think I gave it like seven point seven five or something, right? Shit. I think that's right. I think it was a 7.75. Yeah, that, I mean, you were getting weird with decimals that episode. It was like a 7.328593 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually enjoy it a lot, and I'm not really a stout guy. Yeah. So that's that was the thing for me was like, yeah. I really liked this. So, yeah, yeah. Hey, different folks, different strokes. Totally. All right, we did it. We remembered instead of either forgetting completely or doing it right before we give our social media <laughs> I like to think that makes us the greatest podcasters ever. We keep you guys guessing. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would almost be a drinking game, wouldn't it? Like, get your drinks ready if these dumb fucks forget to rate their beers again. <laughs> Just a little parting gift before we go. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Yeah, that'll do it for this episode. You can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, uh, at and facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. And yeah. uh, website. Yeah, we're going to do the whole kit and caboodles. Run it. Run it, baby. Um, so you can find my books at... Oh, I moved the mic away. Michael Way, hello, Baba Waltas. Hold on one second. Holy <laughs> Rest shit. Rest in peace, Barbara. Yeah. Damn, Abnormal. You caught up. <laughs> Maybe I need to adjust that rating. <laughs> yeah, geez, Louise. Hey, I, I didn't say anything about, you know, the power rating of it all. Like, that's, that's accurate. It's getting me a little bit. Okay. Let's try that again. Um, you, sorry. And if you want to pick up my books, you can go to accidentalaliens.com, Second Shift, Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, Superheroes at Night, and Wanderers of Melisande, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. A thousand years in the future, we start colonizing other planets, and we come across the planet Melisande, where the meteor never hit, and dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved. So it's two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet. Keith, does that ever work? It never works. It never works, bitches accidentalaliens.com pick up those books and uh, let us know what you think 
Yeah, and for me, Instagram, you can find me at Keith underscore Invader. I am posting five times a week, roughly. I'm I'm doing I'm throwing quotes at you. I'm sharing the books that I'm reading that I'm enjoying, and of course, sharing art from both current and upcoming projects. In terms of websites, it's KeithRFoster.com. I have a page there for Kadoja, that is Giant Monsters Meet HP Lovecraft. I have a page there for Three Protectors, that is Shaw Brothers Level Kung Fu in Space. And I have a web store where you can get those things. So yeah, KeithRFoster.com is the truth, son. So go check out the truth. And you can contact us at... Wow. Words. You can. Hold on one second. Dude, you, you oh. had it. You were, you were actually... You, you had it. It was like... I did. It was like fucking uh, and then Squid I, and Game. And then I just dropped would, it into the you, water. You, just, you, you went two steps in and then you just plunged to your death through the pane of glass at the third one for like yeah. no fucking reason. No Man, reason. Man, that's... That episode was great. It was. And you can contact us if you like Squid Games at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, stuff you want us to talk about on the pod, stuff that you've heard that you enjoyed, let us know. Makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't get a chance to talk NBA, but I will just squeeze in here that like the Sixers are just making me think that they have like a 1% chance of winning the title now, and that's dangerous. I enjoyed basketball much more when I was convinced the Sixers had a 0% chance of winning the title, and now they're drawing me in, which means they're going to kick me in the nuts and disappoint me sometime in May or June, and that's and then I'm just going to bitch about them. So anyway, I only say that because we all know that the NBA has one-point shots, free throws two-point shots that's inside the paint that's uh that's called the demar Derozan, i think anyway <laughs> and, and then we have three pointers which of course have revolutionized the nba if you watch the what is it the big three which is a really good fun time remember we talked about that they have that thing called the fucking i don't know flame challenge or something where you do the one-on-one mm -hmm. but the cool thing about big three is that you take four-point shots they have really long four-pointers and what I have heard is that this coming year, they plan on implementing a five-pointer. You actually have to stand in a seat in the stands and just launch and you can hit a five. And, and the best part about that five is that it's sponsored. It's sponsored by this fucking podcast because five, the only, if I say five, we know what you're thinking. You're thinking, my God, making comics podcast five stars, right? Like, in fact, I think they might replace five golden rings in the 12 days of Christmas <laughs> with the five star fucking experience. That is a Holy that is shit, a, man. That's I think actual, you might want to adjust your power rating. On your <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> uh, 130 minutes in and it's all, it's all full. five fucking stars. If, if we are not demonstrating the value of the five star experience, I, I don't know what else can we got nothing else for you. We'll see you next week. Yay, yeah, yay. Yeah. Oh my god. What a fucking...